James 5, 1 through 6. Come now, you rich. Weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded, and the corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You've laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you have kept back by fraud, are crying out against you, and the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. I want to start by saying thank you very much, Pastor Joshua, for giving me this <laughs> verse to preach on this morning. So very encouraging. I see what you did. In reality, it might have been me. I feel like this might have been an eeny, meeny, miny, mo situation. And, and I got this one. So, good morning. Let's talk about this. By the way, I think my wife is trying to grow taller. <laughs> You've never been this tall before. This is... <laughs> um, these are harsh words. And uh, when we encounter a difficult passage in Scripture, the temptation is to put some distance between ourselves and the text. And uh, it's a very real temptation. In this one, there's two ways, two really easy ways to opt out and to put distance. The first is to think about all the super rich people like Mark Zuckerberg or Bill Gates. and Oh, he's talking about them. Nice and easy way to push that out. Another way is to think it's talking about broad economic and governmental theories and not, and not to regular people. Like to sort of, to put it out in the, in the political sphere uh, uh, and then start, you know, just really going at it there. Well, I want to ask you to resist those temptations. Let's let the text speak to us. Hear the words of Scripture and to wrestle with them. What is James saying here? What does he mean? What does he not mean? And how does this fit into an overall picture of wealth that the Bible's talking about? Well, you probably noticed that the, the scriptures uh, have a lot of different warnings about money. Jesus himself said, you can't serve both God and mammon. Nobody can have two masters. At Timothy, Timothy, or excuse me, Paul in his letter to Timothy uh, puts a finer point on it. He says this in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. There's a whole bunch of evil that comes from this. Now, it's, it's not saying that every evil comes from here, because evil was around before uh, money, right? There's all kinds, all, all sorts. Uh, there are three <coughs> different... Um, Three different kinds of, of evil that I see 
uh, all over Scripture. And I want to highlight these because one thing is, is I think, super important uh, for us to, to look at here. This passage, like so many others in Scripture, isn't chastising people for being rich. Rather, it's chastising them for the way in which they misuse their wealth. And I think that's an important differentiation. And, and uh, uh, the, 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 the reason the scripture comes down so hard on this so many times is because the temptations to these evils are very, very great, and people could do a lot of harm with them. But it's not getting on their case for being rich. He's, he's, he's going after things that they are doing, okay? And here's three, all kinds of evil, right? Here's three kinds of evil that I see over and over again in the scripture uh, uh, that we're warned against. The first one is the one that, that Pastor Joshua preached on last week. Um, boasting in riches. Boasting in riches. Now, this was the passage preceding the one we just read when he's, he's saying, some of you guys are saying, this is what we're going to do. We're going to make this profit and blah, blah, blah. And then it's going to be blah, blah, blah. And, and uh, it's, we can do that with all kinds of things as we talked about. We can do that. You can boast in talent. You can boast in beauty. You can boast in all of these things that ultimately aren't going to last. But the one he highlights there is wealth because that's a really easy one. Boasting in wealth and finding security and finding identity there. That is a very real temptation. Storing up treasures here on earth and, and, and thinking that that's enough. And that can be a form of idolatry. This is where I place my feet right here. And we see this all over scripture. Boasting in riches is an evil that we're consistently warned against. The second one is materialism. James says, you have lived in self-indulgence. He talks about rotten riches, moth-eaten garments, corroded gold and silver. The reason he's using these particular images is because this is what wealth would look like back in the day. You didn't have, you know, a bank account. And you're checking you know, on your phone and you've you know, ones and zeros and all these things telling you how much you have in the bank. You, you didn't have that sort of thing. You actually stored wealth in actual material goods. So you're taught, you, you, the picture here is warehouses full of empty clothing. Clothing was a, 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 a huge uh, yeah, that was a huge uh, market. And so it, rich people had lots and lots of clothes. So picture storehouses of clothes, of unused, uh, unused goods. Picture gold and silver goblets that are just sitting there and piling up. And he's saying all of these things, the moths have gotten into them, rust, corrosion, and, and uh, it's, it's not going to save you. This is wickedness. He has a picture of hoarding as opposed to saving. Now, this is, a, again, a temptation that we see scriptures talk about all throughout. You know, we see the same three things that uh, Israel was warned against for centuries and centuries. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. Pride of life is an obvious one. Lust of the flesh is obvious. Is thinking more in the realms of experience, and uh, particularly in sexual temptations, things like that. Uh, uh, but lust of the eyes. That is the desire to have more, to see a thing, and to want it more and more. And there is something. Now, it, you don't have to be wealthy to succumb to this temptation. Obviously. 
But there is something about when you scratch an itch and then you can keep scratching it and it just, and it's never satisfied. This is what he's warning us against. Where you want and you go more and more and more and more and more and you end up living your life in self-indulgence. And this is wickedness that James is upset about. The third one, the third evil is the mistreatment of the poor. This is, uh, we, we get the most severe warnings in scripture in this realm about this particular issue. They're all over uh, the Bible. James says in this passage we just read, uh, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which kept, uh, you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. What we have here is a situation, you know, I don't, when I was in middle school, I learned about feudalism. You guys ever learned about feudalism in school, right? In the Middle Ages when you had some, some lord or some knight who would own land and then you had workers living on that property being under his protection and sort of at his mercy. Um, well, that kind of thing actually was in other parts uh, and, and, and started before uh, the Middle Ages. And this is the kind of thing we're talking about and we're seeing here. Remember, James is writing this letter to Jews who are scattered around the region. And many of them have been working in that type of situation. And what has come to James is this uh, uh, news that, that some of these people, some of these wealthy men, have not, been, uh, uh, have not been just in the way they've been treating their workers. Now, this is a, a huge deal in the Old Testament. This is in the Mosaic Law. Uh, Deuteronomy 24, uh, 14 and 15 says this. You shall not oppress a hired servant who is poor and needy, whether he's one of your brothers or one of the sojourners who are in your land within your towns. You shall give him his wages on the same day before the sun sets, for he is poor and counts on it. That's in the Mosaic Law. Timely payment, treating uh, uh, justly and fairly. Uh, not, not only people who are working uh, uh, with you directly, but, but uh, uh, people who are from out of town, even immigrants working and treating them fairly. Uh, Malachi 3.5 uh, connects this to judgment. When the Lord says, then I will draw near to you for judgment at, uh, against uh, uh, several things he lists. And then he says, against those who oppress hired workers in his wages. This is something God takes very seriously. And now James is reiterating it, and he's talking very harshly about the judgment that's going to come. The point is clear throughout the New Testament and the Old. The Lord cares about the plight of the poor and the oppressed. So, those are the three evils I see again and again that Scripture warns concerning riches. But as I said before, uh, he's not condemning people for being wealthy. In fact, there are men in the Bible who are both righteous <clears throat> and rich. Let me give you an example. Job. Remember Job? Job is the classic riches to rags to riches story. <laughs> he was extremely wealthy and then he lost it all and then the Lord gave it all back to him and then some. Here's, what his, here's, a, here's a list of Job's uh, account, accounting book series. He possessed 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, 
four calling birds, three French hens. Right? He's got a lot of stuff. He is a very wealthy man. And uh, he said he had many servants, uh, and he was the greatest of all the people in the East. Okay, renowned man for his riches. And yet, check this out. In, in chapter 31, he makes this claim that he never withheld from the poor. He's, he's almost angry. He is angry because his friends are saying, Job, here you are sick and you lost everything, so God must be mad at you. But he's coming back. He goes, listen, I did not do any of these things. I have never withheld from the poor. I have been a father to so many who didn't have fathers. I have always clothed the naked. I've never put my trust in my wealth. And he lays this out, and he is sticking to his guns. And guess what? I'm inclined to believe him. Do you know why? Because of what God said about him. God said, there is none like Job on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. Isn't that something? He was rich, but he did not misuse his wealth, but rather used it to elevate everyone around him. And he was called righteous. Another example, Boaz. Happens to be running sound for us this morning. You remember Boaz? If Ruth was a Hallmark movie, Boaz was the strong, silent rancher who caught the eye of the cute foreign widow. <laughs> Actually, it works really well. It's really well. It's a great book, right? And it's this great, he's this great character. Uh, he, he, he's not ever called explicitly like he was a rich, uh, very rich man or anything. But you can see it in the story. He absolutely is. He's a man he, he, of means. He has fields and, the, and, and uh, crops, and he has uh, uh, lots of money in reserve. Now, here's what we see from Boaz. We see that uh, uh, not only was he doing good business, and he apparently was a good boss, too. He's working with his men and all these different things they're doing. But he is, he, he is leaving extra for the poor, which is precisely what the Mosaic Law told him to do. But he's also making sure that they're safe, while they're uh, harvesting. And, and he is, he's being sure not to mistreat the foreigner. And, and when he sees Ruth, he's like, make sure that she's protected because a woman going and gleaning the fields alone, this could be bad. And later, when he agrees to marry Ruth, he gets the girl. But this is not just a get the girl thing. You see, it, because she was a widow, she had to take on all her husband's debts and she had no way to pay them, which is just incredibly, oh, really, really difficult thing. So she's carrying this load. And when Boaz agrees to marry her, he's also agreeing to take on all of those debts and pay them. Isn't that something? And he does. So he quite literally, this man, shoulders the, the financial burdens of the widows. He did not have to do it. It is possible to own wealth, is what I'm saying, without being owned by it. And there are commendable people throughout Scripture. These are just two examples. Throughout Scripture that have done well in this regard. Now, you might be asking, so what does this have to do with me? When I get that James is warning rich people about judgment for wickedness, 
And I also get that it's possible to overcome the trappings of wealth, but no one's ever accused me of being rich. In fact, I live from paycheck to paycheck. I understand that question. I've asked myself that question. What does this have to do with me? To answer that, I wanna turn to a, a parable that I've taught on before. It's the parable of the workers in the vineyard. Now, I preached a whole sermon on this about two and a half years ago, but none of you guys remember because you just don't have good attention spans. I'm just, just kidding. Why would you remember from two and a half years ago? You remember this? This is one of the most fought over parables that Jesus told because we're in a ridiculous age and, and everybody is losing their minds. Um, this is, here's, can I tell you the parable? I mean, I know most of you guys probably remember it. Um, but I'm just gonna walk through it, okay? Are you with me, Jen? Is that okay with you? Okay, all right. All right, just wanna make sure. I'm asking permission. Um, I, I'll sort of jump in and out of the text. I'm gonna use uh, Eugene Peterson's uh, uh, translation of the message um, when I jump in. But God's kingdom is like an estate manager, he said, who went out early in the morning to hire, his, uh, hire workers for his vineyard. So that's his setup. So here's the picture. It's actually kind of a similar situation uh, as what James seems to be seeing. You have a rich landowner hiring people to work on his land, right? Now, in this situation, these are day laborers, okay? So people would come to a spot in the town and hope to be chosen by uh, the, the owners, by the landowners to work that day. This is the way it worked. So what would happen is the manager would come along in his pickup, and he would look out and see who was there. A whole bunch of people gathered to go, oh, you, 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 jump in. This is in Texas because you can just jump in the back of a truck and nobody will pull you over. <laughs> I did that all the time growing up, but think about that now. Now you just, anyway, <laughs> you'd be like thrown in prison for 10 years, I think. Um, it was my entire growing up. Um, so, and, and they went. So you're, this was like at, at six in the morning, okay? And he says, okay, I'm gonna pay you guys this wage and we'll just say a dollar a day. That's what Peterson translates to. All right, and, and so this is a good wage. Oh, this is a good daily wage, awesome. Jump in, so they do. But three hours later, the man thinks, gosh, we need more workers. This is a bigger project than I thought. I'm gonna go back out and get more. So he drives back down to where people are waiting. There's a whole lot of people still there. Okay, you, 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 get in. Dollar, really, jump in, they drive in. They work. Now, as they're, as they're working, once again, the manager says, ah, we need more. But the day is already half done. But he drives down back there again to see if there's still people there. Well, there still are some people hanging out. Haven't been picked yet. So he says, you, 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 get in. Yes, we got a job at least for half a day. Once again at 3 p.m., Maybe they had a deadline. I don't know why he didn't see this coming. <laughs> it's just like, oh no, it's a bigger project than we thought. The copier went down. It makes everything more. That's modern translation for us. When the copier goes down, just everything just blows up. It's difficult. Um, and, and then once again at 5 p.m. No, it's 5 p.m. The, the, the day's almost done. And, and still he needs more people. So he drives down and there are still people there. I want to ask you to think about this. Who are the people that are still there? I, they, they just like have been picked over, right? I wonder what they, like, what do you see when you think about them? Like, 
Were they maybe old, frail? Maybe sick? Maybe people with a reputation? For whatever reason, they weren't picked. So he picks them and brings them over. And they get one hour of work. They're very proud of themselves at the end, I bet, too. One hour. And then the guy's, okay, we're lost daylight. Okay, everybody come, get your paycheck. Sweet. He starts with the one hour guys, the five o'clock. The five o'clock crew. Five o'clock crew. All right. They're expecting like a dime. He gives them a full day's wage. Instantly, the 6 a.m. guys are like, wait a second. He goes, up, oh, three o'clock crew, here you go. Here's your dollar. Wait a second, ah, you go all the way through here, and he gives them all the same. You get to the end of that parable, and you want to fight. Now, here's when I say people lose their minds because they fight over the meaning of this story. It's just so silly. You guys, the kingdom of God is very old and it predates modern discussions about economics, okay? <laughs> it's a little bit before Adam Smith wrote about the wealth of nations or Karl Marx wrote the Communist Manifesto. It's way before then. Can we please remember these things before you jump into some of these debates? Because here's what happens. The, the super progressive people are like, see, I told you Jesus was a socialist. <laughs> and then the conservatives jump in and goes, oh no, he's not. That parable proves he's not a socialist because the worker, because the, the head of the vineyard, it was his money. He said he could do whatever he wanted with it. See? Jesus is all about free market economics. I'm like, good grief. We're missing the entire point here. Uh, I hope that we can let the scriptures inform all of our thinking. But there's a difference between that and trying to put the words of Scripture into things that we've already decided. And then we end up twisting it to saying what we really wish it said. This parable is not about economics. So what's it about? Well, that's the, that's the thing. This is fun. You get into like, wait, what's this really about? I, I've, I long thought, well, it's obviously about 11th hour grace. It's like the thief on the cross, you know? Like this man who died to terrible things his entire life. And all he does is defend Jesus in the end. He says, well, I deserve this. He's, he did nothing wrong. And he says, please remember me in paradise. And Jesus says, okay. He didn't get baptized. He never prayed the sinner's prayer. He didn't make restitution. Any of these things, there was no time for any of that. He just throws himself at the mercy of Jesus and Jesus accepts him just like these 11th hour workers. And it's all true. But it's not what the parable's about. The parable, if you want to know sometimes what a parable's about, sometimes you really have to wrestle through it, and sometimes you just look and read what he says. Here's what he says at the very end. So, the last shall be first. In the kingdom of God, the last shall be first. That's what the parable's about. Wait a second. It can't be that simple. It actually is. See, right before he told this parable, what he's doing uh, in three different occasions is elevating people who are not usually elevated. You know what the first one is? Children. 
Children need to be seen and not heard. That was the thing of the day, right? And even the disciples were like, keep these kids away. Can't you see the master's trying to talk? And Jesus like, no, no, let them, let them come in. You, <laughs> you know. That's what, and he's saying, no, the kingdom belongs to, to these. And over and over again throughout his whole ministry, he is elevating those who are typically put at the back of the line and saying, nope, in the kingdom of God, there's going to be a great reversal. And those who were last are going to be first. This is what the kingdom is like. Do you see how he elevates the five o'clock people? They made their hourly, if you're thinking about hourly wage, they made 12 times what the other guys did. And the other workers don't like it. Let me ask you, who are you in this parable? Who do you identify with? Maybe you identify with those five o'clock workers. You're like, man, that's me. Jesus brought me in, and I always felt like I was on the outside. I always felt completely shunned for whatever reason, and he still gave me grace. Or maybe you look more at the 6 a.m. or the 9 a.m. workers and think, look, I've been faithful. I've been working hard. And when Jesus talks about judgment against people who are rich, and, 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 or when he talks about grace toward the poor, I find myself getting a little bit uneasy and offended. And I understand. Take those things to him because it's his words, it's not my words. Take those things to him. Because here is what he's saying. This is what Jesus values. Jesus looks out for those who have been forgotten. He looks out for those, who, for, for the poor. And in heaven, those who have been pushed out, who have been marginalized, who have experienced oppression, who have experienced huge loss, who have never had a chance, those ones are going to be the rock stars in heaven. My son's going to be a rock star in heaven. So here, we get a glimpse into the kingdom of heaven's value system. And the question then comes back to us. No matter how much money you have, no matter where you are in the system, do you see the world like he does? No matter how much extra you have. You see, I've never been accused of being rich. I, but, but here's the thing. I own a home, and I have a car that I really like. I even gave it a nickname. <laughs> you know, and, and, and yesterday I, I went to a coffee shop, and I, I, I ordered a Grande Pikes, and I just sat there. I didn't even think about it. I didn't, I didn't have to, like, go through the cushions of my couch or, like, fall on my knees and beg for a cup of coffee so I could finish the sermon. You know what I mean? So in other words, I have something. And if, if I think about where we are at, just regular folk, in comparison to where the rest of the world is, my friends, we cannot just look at Mark Zuckerberg and go, look how much he has. I have basically nothing because the truth is probably all of us in comparison to the third world are, are blessed in a big way. And it's not because of anything we did. So in other words, all of us need to grapple with these words. What do I do 
Where does my heart go? Do I get trapped by materialism? Do I tend to look down on those who need more? Do I get frustrated by the words of James and the words of the New Testament saying that the Lord honors and protects the poor? Where am I in this? And sometimes it's easy to go, you know what? I know my people do a good job of this, or I know we are involved in various things. As a congregation, we are. I mean, we, we have a huge value for, for helping the orphans and the widows, and we do, and that's something we do corporately. But I think even beyond that, there are, I think there are things the Lord says, listen, you have this, and there's need there, and I'm calling on you as someone who follows Jesus to act like Jesus, to have Jesus values and look out for these ones who are more vulnerable than you are. And some of the times this just takes a little bit of humility and saying, you know what, Lord, I do have more. I do have more than I myself have said. And I have more opportunity. So I, I, I just want to challenge you guys to, to look at where you are and just to say, Lord, what do you have to say to me? There's no like magic number. There's no, if you make this much money, then you, you know, I don't know how to deal with those things. And, and, and he does. So talk with him about that. But, but let him probe your hearts. Let the scriptures read you. These are not my words. These are the words of the Lord. So can we do that? Can we just ask him, Lord, can you search our hearts and convict us where we need to be convicted? and to encourage us where we need to be encouraged, and to show us how to love our neighbors like you do in your value system. Can we do that together? Let's stand. Jesus, we thank you for your generosity. We thank you for your upside down kingdom. And we ask you, Lord, to live like you. Help us to live like you. I pray, Lord, that you would talk to each one of our hearts and to see areas, Lord, where, where we need to grow and, and people that maybe we've been overlooking. So we thank you that you're always faithful to do that. You're, you're always faithful. We thank you, Lord, for, for your conviction and we thank you for your encouragement. You're always so generous with those things. So we ask you now to make us more like you. And we ask you in the mighty name of Jesus. And everyone said, amen, amen. amen.